Welcome to the Nurses for Healthy Environments podcast. My name is Beth Shank, nurse scientist and sustainability leader in Missoula, Montana. On the podcast, I interview nurses working at the intersection of health and environment. I have a treat today as I am interviewing a nurse leader who has shifted his impressive skills and talents to working with a preeminent architectural firm where he addresses clinical workflow, design, functionality, and related health issues. I had the pleasure of meeting Anthony Mistretta at the Global Climate and Health Summit in San Francisco last fall, and I've been looking forward to talking with him ever since. I'd like to welcome Anthony Mistretta, Healthcare Operations and Strategic Planning Executive with Perkins & Will, architectural and design firm, to the Nurses for Healthy Environments podcast. Anthony, tell me a bit about your background. How did you get started in nursing to begin with? Yes. Um, so it's a great question. I actually started into nursing right out of high school. I was going to um, college and I was a biology pre-med major and realized um, when I started after I graduated, if I decided not to go to medical school, I didn't really have many options except for uh, research, which was not my cup of tea. So I added on a double major for nursing and actually ended up making an entire career out of it. I got my bachelor's in nursing and immediately began in oncology care and then moved over to cardiovascular services and worked the gamut of cardiovascular services as a clinician in different capacities, cardiac surgery, interventional cardiology, post-op. And um, naturally, while working in the hospital, I fell into leadership roles um, throughout the units in education, management, and I really found my niche in um, really leading people and trying to bring people up to their highest talents and, and, and teach new. And went back to school and got my graduate degree in master's of healthcare administration and master's in nursing. And continued to career trajectory up the chain, uh, for lack of a better term. And ended in the actual formal nursing world as chief nursing officer and operation officer for Dignity Health in San Francisco. And um, most recently have transitioned several years ago over to a design and architecture firm, Perkins and & Will. And in that capacity, I'm still using my nursing license and using my nursing expertise um, and just translating it more into the built environment. Well, now that's super interesting. So so let's talk a little bit about that. Um, your, your leadership path in itself is interesting, and it sounds like you were a, a fast advancer and found your talents as a leader, and others noticed your talents as a leader. So that's interesting in itself. But I'm particularly intrigued by your movement into the built environment. So first of all, did that um, was that something of interest that, that you noticed in your leadership roles that the built environment had made a difference? Was it, uh, was it an, an interest for other reasons? Tell me how you started to get interested, and then I want to know a little bit more about how you specifically made that leap. Great question. Um, so it actually goes back quite a while as to my, my interest. It was first peaked. I was working as the manager and director of cardiovascular services for Scripps Health down in San Diego. And at the time, um, we were, I took over the interventional cardiovascular service line. And it was midway through a construction project that didn't have leadership. So the expansion project had pretty much been on hold and moving at a snail's pace. And one of my main responsibilities was not to just take over the operations and clinical, but to also get this project to completion. So I became very hands-on within the design construction atmosphere mid-construction project and saw that come to its completion. Um, once that was completed, my CEO came to me and said, you know, you did such an amazing job. 
we're getting ready to build this new tower, as you know. We were building a brand new cardiovascular hospital, which is Previ's uh, Cardiovascular Institute in San Diego. And um, I'd like you to work with um, Cindy, who was one of the senior directors of nursing, to be the super user and work with the design architect team to really get this get this going. And um, while running cardiovascular services, um, pretty much like as my day job, on the side, um, as part of my job, I was working with every user group from the ground up, every department from SPD, um, clinical nursing, EVS, anything was going to function and run in this hospital, the new Greenbelt site we were building on our parking lot, um, facilitated those user group meetings. And what that looked like was really, I ended up becoming like a translator between the clinicians and the operations to the architects because I spoke their language and I understood their workflows. And the architects knew how to draw it and work it and make it perform. So I was really that bridge in between and sometimes helping the teams think differently about their future workflows because a lot of times we become siloed into the way we currently work. And I absolutely was just enjoying that part of my job so much. Um, that was about a two-year two journey. And I was leaving Scripps in 2010 to pursue a huge promotion up in um, San Francisco in the Bay Area with Dignity Health at the time, Catholic Healthcare West. And I... Um, promised my CEO that I would get everything signed off and submitted into Oshpod before I had left. So I stayed through that and we got everything submitted into Oshpod. And then I moved on to San Francisco and then be able to saw that building come to life. In my various roles in San Francisco within Dignity Health, um, in the six years I was there, uh, facilities, some level of facilities and construction and development was reporting to me. And when I became um, Vice President of Patient Care Services, uh, I was involved in every construction and renovation project in the facility to, from a infection control standpoint, from a flow standpoint, I had um, at least 50 to $60 million of ongoing internal construction and renovation at any given time over my leadership. And I was um, overseeing that and working with the architects and working with the contractors to ensure that we had safe patient flow. Um, there was no impact on operations. And if there was an impact, that we really managed that so that it was minimal and that it was uh, non-invasive. One of the most complicated projects we did there was I had a 14 um, OR renovation and every single OR had to at least come down, get completely gutted and renovated and brought back up while maintaining OR operations. And anyone who works in the OR knows that probably sounds like an immediate headache. <laughs> and it was, it was a two-year headache, but we got through it. And um, these types of jobs and these departments have always reported up to me from that point on in my career, and I've always been intrigued by it. And um, I've always really enjoyed it. But when you're vice president of operations and, and, and patient care services, that part of your role is very, very small. While it sounds like it could take up a significant amount of your time, yes, it's really a smaller drop in the bucket as to what you're responsible for. I was more responsible for patient care, physician relations, patient satisfaction, quality outcomes, all those things that really keep the hospital running. And my leadership team, of course. And I was approached in, in 2015, um, 16, uh, by a colleague. And he called me out of the blue. We have not talked since 2010 when I left um, when I left Scripps Health. And he was the architect. He was the design architect with HOK at the time, who is now Perkins and Will. And 
he was who I worked with in all of those user group meetings. And I got this phone call from him saying, hey, I know when we were doing scripts that you were really interested in, in working with the construction team and the design team. And you were asking about maybe consulting back then. And I told you, don't get out of what you're doing. <laughs> Architecture's not where you want to be. He said, but we have a really interesting opportunity here at Perkins and Will, and we're really looking to kind of bring somebody in that's not an architect, that has a very different background, can speak to the C-suite, the leadership teams, understand the language of that group, but also understand the clinicians and clinical perspective from that side. And um, not sure if you're interested in doing some consulting, but I'd love to talk about it further with you. And at the time, I was not looking for a job at all. I was very, very happy at Dignity. I worked for an amazing CEO. We were really turning the ship around, making some progress. And I gave him a call back, though, um, reconnected with him. And I, in my initial reaction was I didn't have the time to do it. Being the chief nursing officer, there was no time to have a side consulting job. Um, and then a couple of other folks from the firm reached out and said, well, let's talk about this a little bit further. And the role evolved from being this side kind of consultant into a more permanent role and a full-time role. And as I talked with the managing director from the office of Los Angeles, and we talked about this maybe being a West Coast regional position covering San Francisco, Los Angeles, and Seattle, um, it really started to spark a lot of interest in me, understanding. And um, one of the reasons... I took it was, um, not that this was necessarily one of your questions, but as I progressed through my career, that first transition into leadership, I thought, am I going to, I, I used to say I will never be a manager. Who well heck wants to do that job? <laughs> will never be a manager. And I didn't want to leave my patients. But then I realized I could make an impact on a much larger group of patients if I'm leading a team in the right direction. And as I grew up into leadership, you obviously become further and further away from the day-to-day -day patient care, but you also gain the ability to make a much larger impact on more. And to me, that was always so much more meaningful. And when I was taking a minute to think about, am I really wanting to go and work for a firm in an office versus being in my hospital setting I'd been in for 18 years, is that something I'd like to really do? And when I thought about the impact I could make on the broader community of healthcare and how many more patient lives and nurses I could touch by improving their work environment, making it a safer, more efficient environment, being able to touch multiple clients instead of just being within one organization, it really got me excited and motivated. And the opportunity and the freedom to be able to grow this position at Perkins & Will really intrigued me. And I decided to, even though it was extremely scary, take that leap. And I have been with them since and have no regrets. And my role has changed even quite a bit since I've been at Perkins and Will to kind of grow firm-wide. I'm now a nationwide, um, actually international-wide resource for the firm to be able to use my skills on the projects. Wow, that's a heck of a story. And it's, <laughs> it seems, you know, life is so interesting because when you look back and you can trace back through, it seems like very direct steps. But I'm sure it was, uh, as you say, through many, many iterations and uh, explorations as you have, you know, really carved out a pretty unique role for yourself uh, based on your experience and your connections and your interest and your talents. So re really, congratulations. Thank um, you. Yeah, thank you. And so, so do tell what, uh, tell, tell me, tell us all about what you're doing the sorts of things you're doing right now, particularly that are related uh, in some way to nursing, to patients, to health, to public health. I mean, you're speaking like a public health person in terms of 
uh, working upstream to have bigger impacts on more people. Give us uh, some examples of some of the things that you contribute to from your nursing perspective. Um, it's, it's a great question. And every day it changes, which is why I love it. It's kind of like the field of nursing. You go in into one specific field and you start your training in one. And then there's this whole world of careers available to you within the field of nursing. It's, it's so beautiful about nursing. And I feel I have that same liberty at Perkins and Will being able to do this because it started off initially that I was kind of just this internal consultant. And I was working with all of the different design teams within the three offices who were working on healthcare projects. And they came to me with questions about, we're thinking about this, does this work? And they would show me floor plans and blueprints of how they're trying to fit in the program, which is what they call the, the, the need for the units into a certain space and layouts. And they would run tests, I, test fits by me and see, okay, does this make sense? Or, or my, is my head going to get ripped off by the clinicians when I bring this back to them? And we would talk actually more from the perspective of operations and how the people were going to use that flow. And a lot of times in, in that beginning part, I'm just was hearing it from them as to what the intended flow was. And looking at it on print and seeing if that was going to meet the need and giving feedback and making suggestions and modifications. Then we, and then as time moved on and I was able to integrate it with the teams further, we saw so much tr more tremendous value in me being on the front end of the project and actually being able to understand and talk to the nurses what their workflow is and then create new workflows in a new space. So one of the biggest barriers I think I mentioned earlier for a lot of clinicians is being able to see working differently and then translating that into this like 2D, 3D space that's not really real. And what I spend a lot of my time doing is working directly with the clinicians on understanding their workflows. I'm a lean black belt, so I use a lot of lean methodologies and, and different tools. Sometimes we just do full-on lean workshops, but you do the typical walkthrough of their current state and then help them come up with an ideal state, especially if we're building something different, something new. And help them think about how work could not only look different, but be different and be performed different. And work with the nursing team to really figure out the most ideal state for them within their current environment. So I do a lot of lean operational improvement work around the country within the different hospital clients we have. I sometimes do work very independent from actual architect team, not even tied to a project. Um, if a client that we have, that one of our teams has a relationship with once, or even a cold client, they just want operational improvement, really figure out efficiencies, that type of thing, because they know at some point they're going to need to do something built. I work with them on that on the front end. Another thing that I really get to use my skill sets on is master planning. Um, I was always responsible for contributing to our campus master plans in my various roles uh, once I got to a certain level. And when I was working as chief nursing officer, it wasn't just a master plan about my hospital. Of course, we had to have our own strategy and master plan for our campus. But how did that tie into the Bay Area for hospitals and then to the greater picture of Dignity Health, which was 42 hospitals? And that was a continuous thought process that always had to be going. And now I work with clients across the country to develop their master plans for their sites, for their campuses, and then sometimes for their systems. So there's a variety of different ways to look at it. Um, I've worked on just on-site campus master planning, which is what is the best way of utilizing their campus and their assets that they have, and what does the future look like, 2025, 2030, 2035? And then sometimes it applies to a bigger set of system. 
and then even larger sometimes uh, around the country, like you work for a a nationwide system. And uh, we've actually done a lot of work with you guys. And one of the tools that we've developed for your system in particular was a master planning tool to look at the status of their facilities across the country, specifically in the seismic zones, and which facilities are going to need infrastructure improvements by 2030. Um, Other things that I've done being able to apply my nursing background directly um, are post-occupancy evaluations. These I absolutely love because typically, historically, when architects have gone in and done post-occupancy evaluations, they look at things through a different lens. Um, I think everyone can relate to that we hear things and see things through our independent lenses and through our training. And they look at fixtures and furniture and how things are being used And one of the um, most recent experience I had was a project that Perkins & Will had designed. And it was one year post-occupancy they moved in. And I took took an architect along with me for the team. But I was to, the client asked me to look at this through the lens of the patient, through the staff, and through the families. Because they really wanted to see was the design intent being met. And that didn't mean just from the aesthetic nature of the building and walk and wayfinding, excuse me, it was meant to really understand, are the departments performing the way they were intended to be based on the design? And are the operations flowing the way they were intended to be? And is the building meeting the need the way we intended it to for the patients and families from waiting to the triage, if that was necessary for the department, to the actual infusion rooms? So I spent a week there actually doing direct observations, shadowing patients, talking with patients and family, and being able and, and staff and being really able to get into the nitty-gritty. And when I was talking to the nurses and they realized I was a nurse, the smile that they brought to their face, like, oh, so we can actually really show you this. And then we would go through room by room and talk about what's working, what's not working, why it makes sense, and the need from a nursing perspective and what their independent individual needs were and if it was being met or not. And being able to draw that out, summarize it into a report that the organization can then take forward. And the intent was to be able, they were going to build five to six more of these centers in the very near future. They didn't want to replicate things that weren't working. And they wanted to make sure they did repeat what was working. So to be able to give them a tool and a reference guide to use going forward for future builds is very, very satisfying from a professional standpoint and being able to i had one story in particular that just moved my world the design intent for one of the for this one area in particular was that it was an extension of home and it wasn't meant to feel like a medical institution because people with cancer they're they're going very frequently and they have to be there and they wait a long time in these waiting areas and they wait a lot and some people could end up spending a whole day between a clinic visit to an infusion to going home and I interviewed this patient and she said to me, um, we were talking about the design, how she felt about the environment and those types of things. And she grabbed my hand and said, I don't feel like I sit here for hours waiting for my treatments in a medical center. I feel like I'm in a really nice place. I sometimes view this as my day out. And she said, when you're diagnosed with cancer and you're fighting cancer, every day you wake up and you're facing death and darkness. And you're just trying to fight to keep on for life. When you walk into this building and I sit here in this waiting room, the f- I feel like life has been brought in. There's light, there's plants, 
it's so rare to see life being brought back into a building and the impact it has on the human. And she started to cry. And she explained to me that she drove past three other infusion centers all the way to this community um, cancer center to receive her treatments because of the experience that she felt inside the environment. And I still, to this day, when I tell the story, I just picture her face and her crying and her saying thank you when she found out that I was part of the team that delivered it. And that is exactly the reason why, as a nurse, it, it can be so rewarding. You're still making an impact on patients. Yeah, that's just terrific. You've really uh, captured the <clears throat> feeling behind creating a healing environment and that it, it really does have impacts. And thank you for your contributions to that. And I'm sure other people are learning from your experience and Perkin Will's experience. Um, I want to ask you, uh, related to this, because you're applying the nursing process to this work, you're bringing science to this work, you're, you're measuring so in uh, your trans, your post-occupancy evaluations, for instance, I was curious as to what sorts of things you're able uh, to address in terms of health impacts. So relating her experience, for instance, you know, uh, there's mental health impacts for sure, but there are probably other physical impacts, physical health impacts. And I wondered in your design, do you, uh, for, especially I guess I'm thinking for operational uh, areas where nurses and other staff are really uh, working with patients, the things that come to my mind and that I'm aware of might be injury reduction. Um, it might be less exposure to chemicals for reducing allergic reactions. It might be air quality. And it might be those other issues that might be harder to measure, I'm not sure, but about stress reduction or meaning in work, personal joy. How do you approach that in terms of uh, outcomes and metrics? That's a great question. It's something I'd like to personally develop um, a little bit further because it is something that, um, as you know from working with us at Perkins and Will, we value very much so from a materiality standpoint, making sure that the materials going into buildings are as healthy as possible. We have an entire list that we've created that are no-go materials, um, and we advise clients on the healthy impact of those for the people working in the environment over the duration of the life of the material, plus um, this patients and people coming through and um, really help to make the best decisions to create the healthiest environment. Um, and then bringing in different features such as light and, and to areas that typically have not the impact it has on the staff. Most of the measuring I would say to date, I think has been um, subjective in nature in regards to, um, and it's difficult to measure unless people have had a previous state to compare to the new state. Um, but it's something I think that we need to spend a little bit more time developing how we actually measure that. Because um, in our new buildings, um, there's different ways to measure how, not necessarily in the work environment, but how the buildings and the, the, the design intent was actually meant to be. Like I'm thinking of Lucille Packard, for example. Um, there are different ways in mechanical systems in, to be able to measure the amount of reduction of emissions and how much less water is being used and being completely re, um, renewable. So those types of things are, are what we are able to capture and measure right now, more directly related to the impact on the environment from a sustainability standpoint. But from an internal operational standpoint, the way I've looked at it in terms of any type of metrics is being able to compare prior patient satisfaction scores specific to certain elements that were intended to be met to current as well as any other type of, like you said, injury reports, employee health reports, 
um, part of my POE there was looking at the facilities um, requests for services and how that was impacting going forward. How, was there a decrease and what were the types of uh, facilities requests? Um, but that's about it right now off the top of my head I can think of. Sorry, that's a great question and something I think that we need to look at further. Well, I'm sure that you that these these smart, forethoughtful designs are really really are making a difference. And also, I think those metrics that you uh, addressed in terms of green building. So, what is the pollution that's being caused by the building? That too leads to a health impact. And so, those of us who work in healthcare sustainability, that's the sort of thing we look for. How much is our fossil fuel based pollution adding to health impacts? How much are chemical exposures adding? And so, um, you know, the, the, the um, industry is developing, I would say. But I know that from within a, a large health system that's always doing master campus planning and always looking, trying to look five and ten years down the road, um, more data is better, that's for sure. So we can start mm-hmm. to say, actually, we do have to avoid formaldehyde. Or actually, we right. do have to consider lighting throughout the entire uh, day period, you know. So I, and I you know, think it's actually, really interesting, yeah. Yeah, when you the way you just summarized that too also made me think that we do like when we work on the operational side of operational improvements, we do capture the metrics to make sure that intent was met when we create. So if we go in like doing like a lean process and do the current state, we always make sure we document what the current state is. So when we create the future states going forward, if the outcome was supposed to be you know increased throughput, decreased turnaround time, um, whatever the outputs are supposed to be, we do capture that and measure that so that way the client can see did this new way of work actually improve to the goal that we intended. Mm-hmm. So when we have that opportunity, that's there. But yes, back to the building design and the impact on the environment, like you said, those are the types of metrics I know that everyone's capturing in in large amounts. That's why the data is um, been able to launch these efforts for companies being able to say, we want to be net zero by 2025, 2030, because the huge amount of data that's been able to be collected and shown. And what's beautiful about the healthcare world is that um, I feel like when they're presented with data that shows they are causing or some of their activities are causing a direct impact on the health of the public and or their staff, patients, they take immediate action to to change that. And we've seen it like with uh, Robin Guthner always reminds me of this funny story that to, to reflect that, which is the the use of mercury, right? How, how perverse that was throughout healthcare. And then the impact of mercury, not just on the physical per- people, but then into the waste stream and the downward impact and how we eliminate that essentially from the, the medical world. So, Right. That's I a great that. success story. I think we have a, another big challenge that's really difficult right now, and it's really healthcare plastics. There are all sorts mm. of challenges, but, but you know, right now yeah. plastics are getting a lot of attention. I'm, I'm excited to see the solutions we will come up with because, you know, we will. Um, not, I'm not sure if... Uh, uh, we can make up for lost time, but but uh, there's a lot on the horizon, and that reminds me of something I wanted to ask you about with your kind of with for your insider information, <laughs> and that is how are you all thinking these days of our transportation transformation, and that impact on how people you know as we begin to move, probably maybe toward more of a ride sharing um, uh, habit. What mm-hmm. are you addressing that at all yet with? just thinking about parking and um, routing and even um, shipping and those sorts of things in building design. I'm imagining that's still about 10 years away, but I know that in planning, we think 10 years down the road. Exactly. That's a great question. Um, 
Yes. And the funny thing is when we bring this up, so we talk about this with all of our clients going into master planning. If it's a project that's not a renovation, it's something that's actually for future forward. We bring this up and our uh, Perkinson will actually generate this amazing report. It's been a while since I had read it. I wish I had right before this call because I could have repeated out a lot of the facts, but they generated this amazing report about what the future of um, transportation is going to look like and the impact on the built environment. And um, I believe it is available on our website. But the key that we do from a healthcare perspective and talking about it with our healthcare clients is really helping the client understand that, you know, everyone's biggest fear right now, if you talk to any any hospital, they tell you, we don't have enough parking, we need more parking, where's the parking going to be? Can we get double the parking? And everyone wants to just increase large amounts of parking. But as we look at how people are going to come into the hospital. And as you said, more ride sharing. Is there a space for automated automated vehicles in the future? How does that look? The need for parking is actually going to go down. So a lot of what we do as a design firm with our clients is really help the client connect the dots, whether it's connect the dots to the impact that we're having on the community from the you know, waste and pollution that we're causing or connecting the dots to transportation and that impact going forward, we help connect the dots for that individual client. And when they get the dots connected, they typically see it. And we're doing a lot of advising right now on, you know, this is what your parking need is. How about we plan for just the minimum by code because we can't submit without code, but these are the reasons why you're probably not even gonna need what we're proposing instead of overbuilding for the future. Or other ways we've been doing it with certain clients is, okay, we're going to build this parking deck, for example, but we're not going to build it as a parking deck. We're going to build it as a parking deck that can be converted to some other use in the future. So you're not just adding to the footprint of the earth without being able to transform the building into something else useful if parking is not needed in the year 2040, you know, 2050 to the demand that is needed. So we've been looking at different ways to help the clients solve their immediate concern, but really look beyond as to what the future is showing. Thank you. That's really helpful because it's it's so hard, I think, for people to imagine the future without having a glimpse of it. And, you know, and who who can see into the future? We can't except that there's there's knowledge about it. And so um, it's really an interesting um, um, opportunity to both uh, be sensible about today's needs while sort of guessing about about tomorrow's needs because it would just sink a, an organization to invest in today's parking needs even in 10 years i think yeah so um that's, that's helpful i have i have a question for you and i know we're getting near the end of our time but if you think back to when you started in nursing and when you started in your leadership roles in the unit yeah. level and the organizational level and to your cno role and to your role today, can you think of something that um, surprised you or really um, you, you look back uh, at, at 20 years ago or whenever and that you would not have anticipated that has been particularly meaningful or helpful for you? I have to say one of the things that surprises me the most now looking back, and I never really thought about it the way you summarized it when I described my journey to Perkins and Will, was that if in retrospect, things were kind of always aligning to get me to where I am today um, throughout my nursing and healthcare career, which I never would have thought of because they're really typically what we think of facilities driven as opposed to clinical driven. And nurses are always kind of identified as clinicians and operations folks. And I would say the 
when my CEO called me down, I still remember the day that he called me down to his office to ask me if I would co-lead with our senior director um, the build of this new cardiovascular hospital. I was very happy that he had thought of me, but my immediate reaction was like, how the heck am I going to do this? I've never built a hospital before. Half these departments I've never worked in. Uh, How am I supposed to be their voice? And where the heck is the time going to come from? Because nothing was taken off of my plate. (laughs) And it ended up being the most, one of the most rewarding experiences of my career. And not only that, just tremendous learning opportunity, because I was able to dive deep into the operations of departments I had never worked in. And it really gave me the perspective of so many other departments I probably never would have been exposed to. And it also gave me the confidence in the future um, within my career from a leadership perspective, because when I first moved to Dignity Health, I had a very defined role. And as I got more comfortable with the executive leadership there and they saw my abilities and they saw my leadership, they wanted to add departments to, to my scope. And I never once said no, even if it was a department I had absolutely no experience with, because when I thought about it, I thought about the lessons learned from taking on that project at Scripps. But more importantly, I thought about it and said, a person is a person, a human is a human. And my job now has morphed into being a leader, and you can lead a group of people no matter what their actual specific skill set is. I wasn't being hired to be the leader to be the most competent nurse within X defined department. I was being brought on to lead the team to the best clinical work that they could do and the best clinical outcomes. And it was scary because we all know as nurses, people say, oh, you don't know my work. You don't know what I do. Everyone feels they're they're different and special. But that's why you have content experts. That's why you have managers and directors who actually know the details of the work. And my job was to really lead the people not to be the content expert of every single space that I was responsible for. Because before I left that organization, I had 32 accounting units that were reporting to me. There's no way I knew all of their ins and outs of every single department. But I had an amazing team below me who knew all the ins and outs of those departments. And my job was to make sure they had the tools and resources to do their job effectively. And that's what made us successful. Fantastic. Well, and clearly you have the ability to communicate and to digest. And as you said, to translate, I think that's often a position that nurses are uh, excel in because we do yes. translate not only complex health information from other disciplines to patients to our colleagues, but but also we, we span worlds. Like this ability that you described to look at physical space and see efficiency and and clinical impact you know not not everyone has that sort of vision so i think that that also really builds on um, nursing skills to an extent um i know this is a podcast about health and environment i interview nurses from around the country and actually around the world uh, who work at the intersection of health and environment i have not interviewed a nurse who works in uh, in an architecture firm before obviously But I think some of what I try and get at with others is similar. So I want to ask you just a couple more questions, and then I know we need to get off the phone here. Uh, One is, and you've probably gotten at this, but what would you say motivates you most for your work? What motivates me the most is being able to make a difference for a large 
a diverse group of nurses, patients, staff, physicians. I was always able to, in my roles in leadership, to make an impact on my team. But now, not being tied to just one team and being able to work with different clients in different capacities, I am able to make a much larger difference across the entire United States and across the world. That's great. And that's a, a good motivator, especially for an energetic, talented person. Also, again, I, I th- approach this podcast particularly from the environmental health side. And, and I think yeah. myself about global health, environmental mm-hmm. planetary health. Um, but that's not the only way to think about environment. But I just want to ask you a question I often ask, which is, what is your biggest concern right now about environment and health? Um, my biggest concern as it relates to healthcare with the environment and health, I would say, is that um, hospitals are the second most second to data centers, <laughs> uh, energy intensive buildings in the United States. And I think that there's, while we, we do take action in healthcare to um, make changes when we connect the dots and, and things are made important and told about the direct impact on the environment that we produce, I do think as being the second most energy intensive service, while it's a critical service, that there's a lot of internal operations that we could be working to improve more outcomes on and have a better impact back to the earth. And I think that as we continue to move forward and more attention being brought to the table on this, it's helping move the dial, it's just moving a little bit slower. And, you know, it took several hundred years of us to, to get to this place, right, that we're in, several hundred years of, of destroying the earth to get to this spot where we're trying to now recover and repair. Um, it's going to take a while. And that's my biggest concern is that it's, it's taken us a long time to get here. And how long is it really going to take us to start making it better? And, you know, one of the things we like to talk about at Perkins and Will is how can like a visionary statement that we kind of all stand behind and live is like, how can we design a built environment that's not only doesn't only not produce harm, because that's our goal, but also heals the harm that we've done. That's the challenge. Yes, here, here. Well, thank you for for uh, expressing that concern. Um, and thank you so much for this time spent with me today, Anthony. It's so interesting to hear about your career, but also your insights on this, you know, this this challenge that we're really facing right now, which is just as you've said, not only to um, reduce our harm, which I do think people and healthcare and other businesses are are starting to grasp more, but also to reverse our harm in terms of recovery and restoration. So, so thank you yes. for your leadership, and thank you for talking with me about that today. Is there anything else you'd like to add while you have the, while you have the mic? Um, well, two things. I just want to say thank you very much, Beth, for hosting me, uh, having me. I know I'm a little bit different than your usual guest, but more importantly, being, thank you for just getting nurses' voices out there and helping to educate others on this topic and, and how nurses can make an impact on things outside of bedside care. It's, it's really tremendous. And you providing this venue is just fantastic. And one other thing I'd like to just say is that if there's one thing I want people to remember is that my mantra when I was CNO as a leadership team was that we are stronger together than we are alone. And as a profession of nurses, we are over 30 million strong across the world, 4 million of them in the United States alone. And 
if we actually really unite, when we unite, significant changes happen. And I think that if all 30 million of us took just our, our own little part in helping to heal the environment, whether it's in the place that we work, at home, whatever it is, if each and every one of us did our part to heal the world as much as we heal our patients and do it for the benefit of our environment, our community, our patients, and the populations we serve, we will make a significant impact and the rest of the world will follow. I really believe that. That's beautiful, Anthony, and so well said. Thank you so much for spending this time with me today. It has been fascinating to hear about your work, your life path, and your contributions to healthcare and nursing. And thank you all for listening to the Nurses for Healthy Environments podcast. Check us out at environ.org, where you can find this and many other episodes. Please leave a review for us wherever you get your podcasts. Talk to you next time. <music>